0: Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melanie C, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, May 22nd, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 66, paragraph 1. Today's readers
1: are Rachel, The 12 Steps, Jerry K., 12 Traditions, and reading the text would be Katie F., Sally A., and Marita. The reference number for yesterday,
0: Wednesday, May 21st, 2014, is 6376. 6376. The OA preamble. Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Rachel to read the 12
2: Steps. Good morning. This is Rachel. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic. The 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 7. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so and injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it.
0: I want to ask Jerry Kaye to read the Twelve
3: Traditions.
4: Thank you for your service, Melanie. Uh, the Twelve Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. And tradition twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities.
5: Past. How our um, our sole purpose. OA fifth tradition states. I'm sorry, we did that. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement to moderators is one year and for readers is six months. should be muted today we are reading in the big book and we are on page 66 Um, let's see okay um i will now ask um
1: katie to get us started katie s
6: Okay, so I'm supposed to start with It is Plain. Yes, yes. Okay, good morning. I'm Katie a Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Virginia. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, This business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men. But for alcoholics, these things are poison. So, this is such strong language in both of these paragraphs. Um, and I just I just uh it's it's just not mincing any words that we cannot live in anger or resentment, period. Um, if you're wake up in the morning grouchy and resentful and um you know full of anger about something that happened yesterday or last week or last year. You know, you have to go back to your room, get back on your knees and pray again. And, you know, that's, um, it's a dubious luxury of normal men. And we do not, um, even if you're recovered, as, you know, I stated, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. But that doesn't mean that I can now um, entertain angry and resentful um, thoughts. Does that mean I am never angry and resentful? No, I wish it I wish it did, but you know, that's the um the maintenance of our spiritual condition is a daily thing. So we have to um to keep working at it and it's never um there's never a graduation from this process. Now, do I still think about, you know, the fact that my father left when I was 7 and I never saw him again? No. I mean, sometimes it crosses crosses my mind and I think that was really weird you know but I feel sorry for him today I don't have that deep-seated woe with me resentment
1: that I have Katie are you there press star one Katie we don't hear you can you press star one Okay, I think we'll open it up to others, and when Katie comes back, we'll get her
5: back. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs?
7: Ralph, New York.
5: Go ahead, Ralph.
7: Hey, my name is Ralph, recovering this program. Um, thank you, everyone, for being there. I started this uh, listening in about six weeks ago, and I'm getting so much from it, Um and this, where it says, um, but with the alcoholic whose help is maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. And then right there and then, it's like, this is about a spiritual change, you know? And I think this time around, in OA and I, I came in 28 years ago and came back again um, probably about two months ago after being in and out the last six years, I think it was really never about the spiritual change for me. You know, I, I, I got from you you guys a couple of weeks ago when we were studying the book, you know, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I think for the first time I realized that this is about restoring me to sanity, not about making me skinny. You know, every approach to all my step work, um and even in the program through the years was coming from the angle of food. You know, what I eat, what I don't eat, how much should I weigh, I got to get thin, you know, but it was really about food, 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 and now I'm letting go of the food and I'm abstinent, you know, I've been abstinent for a couple weeks now and I just feel really good because I believe that finally I think I got in my heart of hearts that this is a spiritual program and the resentments will kill me and the anger and it's about letting go because I think through my whole life, ever since I was a child, I was trying to control um, my life, because I was the father and the husband at ten years old, and um, didn 't think that I had a choice but to control to feel safe and today, through this program i 'm in full surrender um, and realize that in surrendering there 's a calmness in surrendering there's freedom and i won't have the hopefully won 't have as many angst and resentments that i 've had through the years because when i 'm angry. I might as well obviously I eat. And if I have resentment, I ultimately eat. And by cleaning the wreckage of the past here, uh cleaning out those resentments and that anger, I hope to be free and to do God's work. So with that I'll pass. Thank you.
5: Thank you, Rob. K D G are you K D F, are you back yet? Okay, who else?
1: Yes. This is Katie F. You're back. Would you like to finish up your share? Well,
6: I I don't really know where you lost me all of a sudden I just was lost. So anyway, okay. I I can't um, you know, rewind. I just do you want to I come just to? was I was just focusing on the fact that um when you're reading through this, if if um there's anyone new on the line You know to really look at these words these these words individually that they use fatal um you know fatal is pretty um i mean you know it's the end and uh insanity um harboring and you know i think it was larry that it sounded on you know the idea of harboring you know with if you're at a harbor if you put your boat at the harbor it's tethered and it can't go anywhere else. And, you know, so if I think of my resentment that it's harbor, I'm harboring that, then it's holding me as a hostage, you know, that it doesn't matter if it's a beautiful day and I want to go over there. If I am harbored at the um, shore, I'm tethered to the shore, I can't go. And, you know, that's what happens when I live in resentment and anger is that I cannot, I'm not free. I'm not free to go on and live the rest of my life because I'm living in the past and I'm living in, um, these negative feelings. So, um, there's freedom when we let go of them and, you know, leave them in God's hands that we let God be the, um, judge and jury and let, um, you know, I can walk around free even if the other person never changed. That is not my job. So I'm just so grateful to live in freedom today. Um even though it doesn't mean my life is perfect. And um so with that I'll pass.
5: Thank you, K D F. Who would like to share? Rochelle this is Paula, me Larry. Okay, I heard Michelle. Rochelle. Rochelle. Rochelle, uh Paula and Larry. Was there anyone else? Okay, Rochelle, go ahead,
4: please. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for this beautiful meeting. And uh, I just wanted to respond to the word sunlight of the spirit. Every time I hear that, I am just so moved, and uh, that's why I want to comment on it. When I think of sunlight of the spirit, first of all, I like the alliteration, sunlight and spirit, they both start with an S. But sunlight of the spirit, sunlight is like you're out there in the sun, and it warms you through and through. And you could just bask in that. And that sunlight of the spirit is a sense of um, freedom, freedom and a sense of, of of God is protecting us, watching over us, sheltering us, and uh, and bathing us in his glow. So that's what I wanted to share. Thank you. I pass.
5: Thank you, Michelle, And Michelle, go ahead. I'm sorry, Paula, go ahead.
4: Thank you, Kathy. Uh, Thank you for your service, too. And this would be Paula, recovered compulsive reader in New Hampshire. You know, I want to zero in on that second paragraph. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. You know, isn't it strange? We think we hold anger, it holds us, and there is no freedom there. And then I want to zero in on two words the grouch. Seems easy enough. What a, what a simple word. A grouch. Oh, what a grouch you are. Well, I wanted to go into the AA dictionary. I go into usually Webster's, which is the same meaning. The meaning doesn't change. One who is habitually irritable, grumbling, whining, sulking, or complaining, sourpuss, complainer, fault signer. Oh, that's not enough. That's not a lot, enough to know. They're not free anymore. It, then it says, also see brainstorm. Strange it's in the same line, isn't it? Brainstorm, fits of rage. Sudden violent disturbances of the mind. Where then is there freedom? If everything comes out of the mind, where is the freedom? There is none. There is none. And it says clearly, they're not for us. They're not for us. And then it goes on. They may be the dubious, and I love that dubious. Well, if you want it and you can handle it, I can't. I can't. But for the alcoholics, these things are poison. Be clear here. You can't have them in your life. For if you do, you're not free and you cannot live. So thus you are chained and you die. And as was said before, a walking death. Because you look through that anger at everything in life. Because you're such an angry person, everything is distorted. Thank you for allowing me to share. Yes, a paragraph that I don't like to share on, but yet I know this is what propelled me forward. I did not want to live that way any longer, nor do I have to. Thank you again for the opportunity, and with that, I do pass.
1: Thank
5: you, Paula. And Larry, it's
8: your turn. Thank you, Kathy, for your service. Larry recovered, uh, compulsive overeater from Chicago. Um, Okay, so if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. Uh, The grouts and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. And that was true for me. You know, the thing about anger is that it doesn't dissipate doesn't dissolve just because I unleash it and let me tell you <laughs> i was i was uh i was uh definitely willing to unleash it on a regular basis um you know for a person with an alcoholic mind like mine, you know anger begets a- more anger you know anger doesn't you know you sometimes maybe there's this sense that you know let just get it out of your system oh it's it's the people that hold on to their anger those are the sick ones not me i get it out no that was not the case i had to uh, i had to look honestly at myself anger just uh, unleashing anger didn't allow it to dissipate in fact um i unleashed it over and over again it's a vicious cycle And so what I'm doing there is I'm I'm transferring feelings of guilt and hurt and fear onto others. You see, I I tried to escape blame and criticism, you know, because my self, you know, the self-centered existence that I was leading was so um, overwhelming that I wanted to pass the buck and I would project my mistakes and misdeeds onto others. It's kind of like a defense, you know, a psychological defense to protect my own ego. I always saw fault in you, and I was sure to let you know about it. And, and for the compulsive overeater, that's okay for normal people that may occasionally, you know, feel a sense of anger, and they feel it, and uh, they soon move on, you know. But the, for a compulsive overeater, for an alcoholic mind of my variety, this creates more problems than it stops. You know, a good deal of my anger was motivated by a desire to not to experience guilt. They say if you spot it, maybe you got it. And believe me, I had it. And and anger is almost never a primary emotion. It wasn't for me. It's not a primary emotion. You know, human beings experience anger, but it's not a primary emotion. It's about the core hurts that underlie it all. You know, feeling what are what are those core hurts for me? Uh, well, uh, feeling of being disregarded. Boy, that would get me angry. Feeling you know, feeling that I'm unimportant. Uh, Lord knows, I want to be i I'm, I want to be the most important person in the room. Um, if I'm accused of anything, God forbid, you accuse me of something. You devalue you devalue me in any way. I'll tear you apart. You know, that was the man that I used to be. Thank you, God, that he washed my brain clean of that now, and I, I don't do that. Um, reject me. Uh, make me feel unlovable. I already didn't love myself. You know, pile on to that, that feeling that was already there, that sense of powerless, feeling powerless. I'm going to unleash that anger. That's why anger and the brainstorm aren't for, for, for people like me, because then I will then uh, turn the anger onto myself. And I will unleash violence on myself in the way of it was very violent, the way I used to eat food in secrecy and in bulk. And uh, the violence I did to my body was was beyond measure. Maybe maybe some of you can relate. Um, I don't live that way anymore. Um, It's not because I read the book on, uh, you know, on how to deal with anger. (laughs) It's not because I went to years of therapy uh, and, and learned how to deal with anger none of that would work for a person with an alcoholic mind like mine i needed a power greater than myself that could change me from the floor up from the from the very you know tip of my toes all the way through internally to the top of my head and when god changed me as the result of working these steps all of the people around me and the circumstances changed <laughs> i was no longer i don't get anger uh, anger um very often anymore and when I do it's like a normal person I suppose it dissipates and it it goes away and I don't feel that I need to tear someone else up. I wonder if God restored my ego in a a sense you know I move from a a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. That's what this spiritual program is about and I don't need to do violence with food anymore nor do I need to treat others poorly anymore so anyways with that I'll pass. Thanks.
5: Thank you, Larry. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this paragraph?
9: Hannah,
5: Sharon in Colorado. Okay. Hannah, Sharon, thank you. Go ahead, Hannah. Um,
9: I, I <laughs> uh, um, Hannah comp- recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. Um. You know what? What I what what has become increasingly important to me over the years about this these last two sentences that when harboring such feelings we shut ourselves off and the insanity returns and with us to drink is to die, is that that tells me exactly how losing my abstinence can happen. That it, it isn't a mystery. You know, it isn't. It isn't a crapshoot. It isn't that. Oh, somehow I just can't do this. It, it, the insanity. And 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 I used to think. So, what exactly is the insanity? Well, the insanity is thinking that behavior and substances that are actually hurting me, my body and my spirit, are comforting me, are making me feel better. Are helping me cope with life. That's insanity, um, and I, I just—it's just very powerful to me to see that. Oh, these are where I have the choices. You know, this is another turning point. I stand at the turning point of saying, "Well, am I going to be angry at these people who sideswiped my car and are denying all responsibility for it?" That—that's. That actually happened in the last couple of weeks, um, or am I going to accept what I can't change and move on and 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 the third step comes into play for me here when I have to ask for the willingness to let it go and move on, and that's how I stay sane um, and and this stuff i you know i can't. I, I I this really works. I mean it really works as a practical way to deal with life and life's problems. With that I pass. Thanks.
5: Thank you, Hannah. And Sharon, it's your turn.
10: Oh, thank you, Kathy, and thank you for your service. This is Sharon in uh, Colorado, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'm so grateful there are so many people now from Colorado. Uh, but this, uh, boy, this paragraph, I'll tell you what, it just speaks the truth in very, um, I don't want to say harsh terms, but reality.
3: Facts,
10: facts. It is plain. Here's the fact. And I've had to have out in my margin all over in this book. This is a fact and this is the lie that I used to believe. This is the fact. This is the truth. This is the lie that I used to believe. And my life was filled with with anger, um, angry temper, and fearful temper. And they were the ones that activated all the other defects of jealousy and envy and comparison and, and just, you know, complaining, gossiping, kind of like what Paula shared in her definition there. And so... That was the world that I lived in, in my mind, and that's what fueled my addictions. And uh, and so then it comes down here and, and says, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. I mean, it's dark. It's in a, we're in a dark place, and we find that it's fatal. Yes, it is fatal. And then when harboring these feelings, we shut ourselves off from this beautiful sunlight of the spirit. And um, if I go back then two pages over on 62, it says, So, here's a fact, our troubles we think are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic is an extreme example, a self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. And that was me. I didn't think so. I still had my focus on other people, blaming complaining, criticizing, judging. That was where I was. I was not able to see those same glaring defects within myself. And so, of course, they never got rectified, and it's not something that any of us can change in our own human willpower. And so to know that this sunlight of the spirit, I was the one that blocked it off, and I can choose to turn and then choose to walk and live in the sunlight of the spirit if I'm willing to do these basic things that they say I must do. And so it is in steps, you know, four, the one we're in right now, and we continue on through nine, to let God change that uh, and, you know, clear out, clean out the debris of all that anger and resentment that I held from the time I was a little child in many different ways. And I was a wounded soul walking around, blind and uh, lost. And now I have this wonderful privilege to learn this new way of life that will set all of us free. So I just encourage everybody out on the line. I've been around a long time, and this illness was one of the hardest that I was able to lay down and let go and then begin this walk again in the light and the sunlight of the Spirit. So thank you so much, Kathy. And with that, I pass.
5: Thank you, Sharon. Uh, This is Kathy. I'd like to take a brief turn. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I'm so struck by the words that are used in these two paragraphs, uh, fatal and grave, to drink is to die, and so on. Very extreme words. And uh, when I first started uh, in the 12-step rooms, Uh, I found myself uh, reading through these paragraphs pretty quickly and saying to myself, well, that's not me, thank goodness. Um, And uh, I kind of minimized my disease at that time uh, because um, I didn't have a lot of weight to lose, but I was not aware of the sick thinking in my head and, um, my way of living, uh, which was characterized by so much, uh, stress, anxiety, duress. Um, and it wasn't until I could keep the food down for, for, uh, a while that, um, I began to see how life, how difficult life was for me without, um, the food to fall back on, and then I began to see all the range of feelings, including deep resentment, um, that governed my existence, and I'm so grateful today that uh, with prayer I finally developed the willingness to do the work of step four, um, because that's where I uncovered and turned around um, these grave... Uh, experiences that were causing me to die a very slow death. Um, it's in this work that we do find the sunlight of the spirit. And with that, I pass. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? Barbara? Go ahead, Barbara.
4: Thank you. This is Barbara, recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Uh, this was a turning point for me in recovery when I actually saw that just as the food, the excess food, certain foods brought on a living death. I mean, the word die was very clear. I didn't have to physically be in the grave, but I was dead. And being angry and holding on to that anger and re-feeling it, the resentment, the re-feeling of it was also bringing on an actual death. And I had to be convinced of that before I could continue with the steps because, I mean, it felt kind of good to be angry at my boss or my mother or blame my husband or whoever or my neighbor. I mean, it just—it felt good. I was, you know, I got a buzz from that that I would get from overeating, but I couldn't—I couldn't go there anymore because, as it says, you know, my friend Susie could be angry and she could get a, a buzz from, but for me. It was bringing death. And I had a sponsor who gave me a phrase, God bless her, that helped me, and it continues to help me. And she used to say, you know, resentment is an acid that corrodes the vessel that contains it. So I had to really take a look at what that was doing to my insides. I mean, that feeling, that buzz from being angry, and then to re-feel it and get the self-pity from it and all, whatever whatever payoff I got, I had to see that, you know, that even before it would go as far as leading back, as the text says, you know, to alcohol slash food and to drink, to to binge or whatever, is to die. Before it got to that point, I was spiritually dead to a fullness of life. So um, that's why in my daily inventories I can't mess around with holding on to being hurt and being angry and and that that grouch and that brainstorm. I mean, let my friend Susie do it because she can handle it. I can't. It kills my insides, and I have to be very clear that the word poison isn't to be taken lightly. Would I consciously? Ingest poison, leave it in my system, take it in my system. So I like the image um, because it helps me to be very clear. I just I, I can't go there, and if I go there, I can't stay there. I have to go to the other steps to get
5: out of that place. Thank you. When I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Let's move on to the next paragraph, and I'll ask Sally to read it for us.
11: Yes. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, a for you. This is Sally. Uh, recovered Compulsive overeater Eater in South Jersey. We turned back to the list, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. So, we're turning back to the list, having shared all these thoughts in this past paragraph, for the list holds the key to the future And the key, the key is, it's an interesting thing, that the list holds the key. You know, we all want to hold the key to the car. We all want to hold the key to the front door. Keys are really important. And they're letting us know that this list, our resentment list, our, our list holds the key to our escape. That's what's coming. Escape is toward the bottom of the paragraph. We were prepared to look at it. Again, they're harping back on page 64, the fact-facing and the fact-finding, or the fact-finding and the fact-facing. We were prepared to look at it from a searching and fearless perspective, from an entirely different angle. So what's the different angle? We're we're not going to take a look at this list anymore in terms of the first and the second column of who, who, who it was or what it was and what's the cause. We're now going to look at it from an angle of the last columns the What's My Part, we began to see the world and its people really dominated us. It's an interesting perspective. First of all, that it's not just people that are on our resentment list. It's some of the things that we deal with that make us restless, irritable, and discontent. I had three flat tires in a row in the grand city of Philadelphia where I worked uh, this past winter, and it. It's something that I'm probably going to have to do a 10-step turnaround on. I'm still irritated about the pothole condition of Philadelphia. We began to see that the world, not just people, but that things about this world can really dominate us. And when they dominate us, they're rolling around in our head. They just won't go away. The interesting thing is that the things on this list are the things we tried to control and that we couldn't, and ultimately, they controlled us. They took control of our mind, and they lead us to dark places. Ultimately, we want to just numb our mind for the pain that it causes us, and so the very things that we try to control, if we would let go of control, if we would surrender the control of the things, if we would surrender the outcomes of the world and its people, They no longer would really control me because that's what they were doing. They were controlling me. They were really dominating me. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. I love the way they said fancied or real. They're throwing in the fact that that my mind, you know, takes such many twists and turns that they might just be just me in my head. and and not really even a real real wrongdoing, that they had the power to actually kill me. And they did, because it led to the food, and the food would kill me. How could we escape? Such an incredibly strong word, just like the last paragraph, the words infinitely grave, that we found it is fatal, that to drink is to die. And here we have the word escape. It's a danger zone. That's what they're saying to us. How could we escape the danger zone? We saw that these resentments must be mastered. But how? And that's the key issue here. It's no longer that when we write our list that we're looking at why, what they did to me. It's now about how I contribute. We could not wish them away anymore that I could wish away my my food addiction, Thanks for letting me share with that iPad.
5: Thank you, Sally. Who would like to share on this paragraph?
12: Elizabeth Haya. Ken.
5: I heard Elizabeth, Haya Haya. Mm -hmm. and Sue. Anyone else? KDF. K D F. And I heard one other person. Ken. Ken.
1: Leah.
5: And Leah. Okay, that should get us far. Elizabeth,
12: go ahead. Thank you, thank you for your service. This is Elizabeth D and recovered compulsive overeater in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, i as I've said before i I love the fourth step it was um it was a major turning point in my recovery um, each and every time I've done it, but especially the first time I did it um, where I had five hundred resentments listed in the first column. Um, because after the third column, when I approached the fourth column, which is what we're getting ready to do here, that's what what it's saying, we turn back to the list for the list held the key to the future, I was instructed to say a little prayer um, as I wrote the fourth column on each individual person, all 500. And the prayer was, God, please show me how I have done what I've listed in column two to the person I've listed in column one and or others. Just that brief little prayer, and within a a millisecond, something would flash into my mind that would show me how I had done exactly the same thing, either to the person in column one or to someone else. And as I walked through the process and did that with all 500, I was um, slowly and um, truly beginning to be transformed into a kinder, gentler person and a more compassionate person. And as we're going to see here uh, shortly, uh, they're going to start telling us that we we, we saw that people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick, though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us. They, like ourselves, were sick too. That's how I was able to get my mind around this prayer was how I was able to get my mind around the fact that I wasn't, you know, I, I hadn't, I had certainly uh, under, with, withstood some injustices, but I had certainly perpetrated some injustices too. And um, it was amazing. And as, as we've said, and we probably don't say often enough, this is really about getting our spiritual connection with God back. Um, It's not about stopping eating. That will happen if we get our spiritual connection with God back. Um, And this third and fourth column was the turning point, the key for me, to be able to be willing to keep going in the steps and to have the courage to go through eight and nine especially. Um, So um, I think that's enough for now. Uh, um, With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks.
1: Thank you, Elizabeth. Hayek, you're next. Go ahead.
3: Thanks, Melanie.
1: Hi,
13: everyone. This is Hayek. Very, very grateful to Compulsive Eater and Bulimic in Denver, Colorado. We turned back the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. This was a major turning point for me. Um, I had a really good time in uh, column one and column two. <laughs> Um, column three, but look what this affected, you know. But when we, when I was at this place where we turned back the list for it held to the key to the future. I don't want to speak about the how yet because we're going to get there in the next paragraph. But the key to the future, that the key to the future. This was my key. This was going to unlock the door. And what's my future? That arch through freedom. That we talked about in step three, um so looking at this from an entirely different angle um, totally putting out of my mind um the the first columns, looking at it from a totally different angle changed everything because it's all a pers- it's all it was all perspective for me um, and I also love that it says in that state, the state of seeing that the world and its people really dominated me. Um, when I'm in that place of people really, you know, everyone else being in control, right? It says here, as Sally also mentioned, fancied or real. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, whether they, whether they didn't really, uh, they weren't really wrong. I just think they were. Or they really were wrong. It was killing me, and I had to be free of that because the paragraph before tells me I have to be free of anger. I have to be free of this anger. but I can't do it on my own, just like I couldn't stop eating. I couldn't stay stopped on my own. And, um, you know, this is a promise. This is, this paragraph is really a promise. And I just want to make one brief comment about the paragraph before where it says the grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. And I just want to, uh, Give everyone a kind of a foreshadowing when we get to step eleven it's going to talk about rising above the storm that our thought life is a on a above on a different plane or above the storm. you know when we're in this in this anger and resentment where it's a brainstorm, my head is just like thunder and lightning, um, but when I get to step eleven, I get to be above the storm on a different plane and um that really, truly is a gift. Thanks so much for letting me share with
1: that all time. Thank you, Haya. Uh, Sue, it's your turn. Sue, are you there? How about KDF? F?
6: This is Katie F, a recovered-compulsive overeater in Virginia. Uh, we ask God to help us show the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. And so when I look at these uh, people that are on my list um, after doing my four-step, and I think, you know, how can I let them off the hook? You know, I've got to – there has to be some justice. Justice must be served. And, I'm, you know, I have to um, – this this it's not right you know how can i just say that that was okay and you know that in no way does it say that we tell them that what you know that whatever happened to us we don't go to the person and say you know i'm i realize you de- hurt me deeply when i you know whenever in my life but i'm going to forgive you now that's not part of the steps it's nowhere written that we talk to the people about what they did to us. Um, This is totally an inside job and a job that's done with me and God. You know, that I pray for that person. I pray for them the same way I pray for someone who has cancer, you know, that uh, they will get better. And I'm not the one who makes them better. You know, just like I'm not the one who makes a sick person better. I'm not the one who makes a spiritually sick person better. It's God. It's up to God. And, you know, the thing that we are trying to do here is to save ourselves from going back into those vicious cycles of over and over again uh, finding new people to be angry with because that's what my life was like. In disease, you know, I pretty much repeated the same patterns over and over again for the first, you know, 27 years of my life that, you know, I would, I was totally focused on myself and, you know, there would be some big crisis in my life and I focused on that and I, you know, I just did not propel and move ahead to where my life changed and I had um, really had a life. I, I was just stuck in this, um, like a hamster in a cage, just going over and over and over again, you know, and, and that's what the freedom is in this recovery is that I don't do that anymore. I don't have a new set of people that I'm angry with now. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the freedom that we get in, um, in recovery, but it's not, it's not, um, up to me to change the person. And they may never change, as I've said. They may never, ever change, but I change. My reaction, my response to life has changed.
1: And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, KDF and Kim. Press star one, Kim. Oh, Kathy, I didn't think you heard me to share. Okay, hold on.
14: Let me put my Bluetooth on. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim Ji, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Um, I wanted to zero in on that fancied or real. You know, either one has the ability to actually kill here, it says. I just wanted to give a brief example of what came out of my four through nine. Once again, this is the beginning of the inventory, so what I found out when I was doing four through nine. And when I was a little girl, we would go to my parents, my mom's side of the family, I would try to be good, and I would try to be quiet, and invariably, my mother would come over and say, that's it, we're out of here, and we'd be, all, all of our kids would be taken away, and I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong, and every time I would go to my cousin's house again, I would try to be good, and I would try to be quiet, and invariably, she'd come over and say, that's it, we're out of here. And I spent my life with this pattern when I went into a room to try to be quiet try to be small because I was always so afraid of getting in trouble. And my mother, who's in L.A., I told her about this, and I said, Mom, what is this about? Do you know what I'm talking about? And she's like, I don't know, Kim. Let me think about it for a couple days. And when she came back to me, she was like, Kim, I think I know what this is. Now, my mom's father was an active alcoholic till the day that he died. And what she said was that when we were at parties at her family's house, she knew the beer, that would put my grandfather over the edge. And as soon as he took that beer, she would come over to us kids and say, that's it, we're out of here. And I didn't, so it had nothing to do with me. I absorbed it as a way of life and it was my mother trying to protect me from my grandfather. And I thought about it. I remember my cousins talking about the funny stories of my grandfather coming down in his underwear and having to pull my grandfather out of the bushes and always wondering what they were talking about because I never saw that. So I just want to say, fancy to real, this process allows us to have a cleansing process because whether we think this is is true or not, it can actually kill us. And I have since asked my brother who was sitting next to me with this exact thing happening and he has no idea what I'm talking about. So here it was me as a child and the way that my pre-alcoholic brain processed things that always made it about me in my selfishness. and it wasn't, and it created a pattern of my entire life. So that's the power of this stuff. I'm going to read that sentence one more time. We began to see that the world in its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had the power to actually kill. And with that, I pass.
1: Thank you, Kim. And Leah, you'll be our last share today.
15: Leah, press star one. Thanks so much, Kathy, for your service. Good morning, everybody. Leah, recovered compulsive overeater. We turned back to the list for It Held the Key to the Future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. Look at it. You know, a new vision. When I read that statement, I think of a new vision, a vision for you. Um, you know, my life is going to be determined by how I think, and if my thinking uh, you know is aligned with principles and aligned with a power greater than myself, then my actions and my life. Um, are going to reflect that. But if my thinking and my vision is distorted, if it emanates from disease, chances are my actions are also going to be distorted and emanating from disease, and my life is distorted, and that certainly is where I was at uh, when I, you know, crawled my way in, into the program. Um, you know, the, the program uh, allows me an opportunity to take action with these with this uh, step four and start taking responsibility for my own thinking and for my own behavior. I could no longer afford to blame other people and to blame my actions and my behavior on other people Um, because if I let other people control the way I think and the way I act uh, and control my life, there's no way out. But this program is telling me there is a way out. Yes, there is a way to be free, Leah. Um, I always focused on the outside world when I was disturbed instead of focusing on the fact that I was disturbed. And thank God, you know, the program of recovery offers me a plan where I can become undisturbed, where I can be prepared to look at these situations from an entirely different angle. And that is the whole purpose of this work is We are moving towards a revolutionary change in my outlook and my perspective and my interaction with life. And this process, beginning with this step four, um, allows a change in the way I think and the way I feel and especially the way I behave. And what distinguishes the 12-step process from self-help programs is that this change is done to us, not by us. Do I have a responsibility to implement these steps? You betcha. (laughs) Was this going to happen by magic? No. Was it going to be miraculous? Absolutely. And I believe that I have a better life today than I could have ever had had I never had this illness because of this program of recovery, because this program of recovery has given me a new vision I was the biggest obstacle to my better world. The program of recovery allowed for uh, a turning inside out. Because of this step process, there was a natural progression of turning me inside out from a life-taking habit of self-centeredness uh, to a life-giving desire uh, to love and, and you know be patient and tolerant and understanding of others. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much.
5: Thank you, Leah. Uh It's now time for us to bring the meeting to a close. Thanks to everybody who has shared. Um, we will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164 and then say the serenity prayer. Marita, would you please read a vision for you? Absolutely.
3: Good morning, um, vision for you. This is Marita, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia.